everyone, and welcome to another episode of the show that does not yet have an official name. I am one of your hosts, Grayson Maxwell. And I am your other host, Brandon Boring. What is going on, Brandon? How are you, sir? Uh, you know, living the dream, as I do here in Ohio. Uh, how about <laughs> yourself, sir? Well, you know, we've got two, two and a half, three more weeks left, I think, on my current show. And then I have to decide if I want to stay a little longer and work on it or go home to work from remotely, which I kind of want to do, although I'm not quite sure I'm able to make that decision right now. So I'm just kind of playing playing my options, as it were, playing my options. There you go. Uh, this is the second episode in a spinoff series created for For the Love of Cinema. I guess the working title now is Origin Story. It's his, um, as you listened to the last, last posted episode of this series is uh, one of my good friends from back in the day. We worked at a movie theater together. We had a lot of good philosophical conversations about movies whilst working on the clock. Uh, Brandon Boring is here with me, and we are going to talk about things that we want to talk about. Unlike the For the Love of Cinema episodes where we talk about the content dictated weekly as to what comes out and what is very popular in streaming, we are not held to that constraint here, so we will jump around. And if you listened to the last episode, we kind of got to introduce ourselves and we started to talk about, in a very general sense, movies, what we like, what we dislike, stuff like that. But uh, this episode is going to be dedicated to what made us who we are as far as film enthusiasts, what movies have got us to this point, what movies influenced us, and let's get to the reasons why, if that is important. I, I know for me, for example, James Cameron is a huge young influence on me. I, 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 got, a, I got a hold of him pretty, pretty early, and I just I fell in love. He was probably the first director I really fell in love with. Nice. Um, what about what about you, Brent? Who was the, the first uh, director that you knew who first, he was? And... Yeah, first director who I knew who I was and fell in love with has to actually be Mel Brooks. Um, ah, yes, that's that's a very popular. I'm sure Mel Brooks was that person he, for a lot of people. Oh uh, yeah, I'm a comedy guy, and I went in. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I have a film studies degree. I appreciate cinematography and everything, but like the writing's where it's at was that for me, and like I, I'm a big comedy fan, so. I remember uh, one day my mom yells up to me. She goes, "Hey, that movie you like is on," and she and on TV and Spaceballs was on. Spaceballs. I had never seen Spaceballs in my life. I'm convinced to this day that she thought it was actually Star Wars that was on TV <laughs> and just told me to turn it on. But I turned it on, and life was never the same again after seeing that. Well, that's a good. Mel Brooks is certainly, and judging who you are as like a very. You know, you're kind of a dark humor, kind of a comedy guy. Like, that's very kind of up your alley. Mm -hmm. So, not to say that Mel Brooks is like dark humor, but it's certainly more intelligent humor that I think oh, today yeah. we kind of equate with darker humor. Oh, yeah. He's just an amazing writer. It's shocking to me that he only ever received one Academy Award for writing. Um, but he at least does have one. So, I do take solace in that. But it's just, it's odd to me that he has as many writing Oscars as Sylvester Stallone does. <laughs> that. I never thought about that, but that's also very surprising to me as well. I mean, I, and that's not the that's not the crap on the one that Sylvester Stallone won because Rocky is is a, a the original Rocky is a really strong film, uh, really well written. But it's just just that specific factoid pulled out in a vacuum blows my mind whenever I think about it. It really does. Because, I mean, Mel, I look. I don't. 
Mel Brooks is a genius. Not saying Sylvester Stallone is not a genius, but just they're 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 geniuses in different ways. They're skilled in different ways. Yes, <laughs> they're very skilled in different ways. By the by, Brandon, I don't know if you saw any headlines, but are you since we're talking about Sylvester Stallone, Sly? Are you excited for the Expendables four? Uh, I have yet to watch a second of any of the Expendables films. Wait, so did you watch the first one at least? No, I did not. I, I remember oh. when the first one came out, I was kind of excited. Uh, like I was interested mildly hearing about it. I feel like by the time I would have gotten around to watching it, it had like sort of disappeared up its own ass. Like it had just the, the I love those almost, movies. That, that's great, and maybe I would enjoy them. Like I, I did a rewatch. I well, not a rewatch. I, I did a first time ever franchise watch of Fast and Furious uh, a couple months ago, and I really had a good time with that watch. So I might enjoy it in that same way. Uh, but I feel like the the sort of public opinion had started to turn that the magic was gone, but because I think it was like the second or third one had come out, and and the popular opinion was not as hot on those. So uh, maybe maybe uh, this would be my chance when the fourth one comes out. Maybe I'll finally do a series watch of that. I mean, I can knock it out in a weekend, no problem. So I'm gonna err on the side of you're gonna love them, and I'll tell you why. Because the first one, I think it's it's attempts to be like a more serious story, with you know. For example, there's a, there's a conversation between Mickey Rourke and Sylvester Stallone about what happens to their souls. How do you mm-hmm. save your soul when you've killed so many people? How do you how do you save your soul when you die? Where did like, that's kind of a deep conversation. That's pretty that's pretty deep for a movie of the what you'd expect from the Expendables. And in this by the second one, it's very self aware. Jean Claude is the villain of the second one, and his name is Villain. <laughs> like I just. I think those movies are absolutely worth watching, and I'm very excited for fourth one. The last one is just balls to the wall. Every action hero from the 70s and 80s are there. Harrison Ford's flying a helicopter. Mel, Mel Gibson's the bad guy. But, of course, Mel Gibson steals the show, and every scene he's in, he completely steals the show. Uh, but it's, yeah. it's, it's a lot of fun, though. I think you'd really enjoy those. Yeah, then if the fourth one comes out, that seems like a big good excuse to do a, a series watch then. Yeah. And it'll be sooner than Fast and Furious, which took me till nine to watch that whole thing. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I, can't, I can't say that I blame you for that. I remember we had some conversations about the Fast franchise back in the day, but we only got up to like, I think by the time our tenure was done at Carmike, um, we only had like three of them only, only three of them existed. Yeah. Yeah. Took, and I had actually, I had seen the first three back, back then. Uh, cause I saw the first one cause it just came out. It was big. My little brother actually, for some reason, uh, he loved the second one. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's much younger than me. So he was just into like hot wheels and cool cars. So I think there were just a lot of neon cars in the second one. Uh, and then I saw Tokyo Drift cause I think we might've been working at the theater when that one came out and I just saw everything. Cause why won't, why wouldn't you? Well, that's a hell of a perk. First of all, oh, it's, no, it's amazing. Like every once in a while, I'm like, do I want to pick up like a weekend shift? Like I can afford movies. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. But it's still in the back of my mind. Just the feeling of walking in and seeing it for free is, is pretty nice. Well, I, I do the AMC A list, which I think is a fantastic. I do that service. too. Yeah, um, yeah. But I know what you mean because for a very, I mean, up until 2019, I was working literally. So from the time I was 16 until I'm 36, so the time when I was 16, so the time I was 34. I was working in a movie theater somewhere just to get free movies. I never, I, the, I've so rarely paid for them. Um, you just, when you like the movies like I did back then, I, I couldn't afford to watch everything back then on, you know, I, so look, if you, if you're a movie lover and you're young, there really is no better place to work than a movie theater. Yeah. I'll tell you most, any job you're going to get as a teenager, is going to suck. There's, they, they don't give 
good, enjoyable, cushy, satisfying, fulfilling jobs to teenagers. No, they so don't. they do not. You might as well get one that has sweet perks. And although, truth, is probably best you can do. Although, truth be told, I recently have had a conversation with a kid who says he can't work for he 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 couldn't possibly work for the low 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 wage of thirteen fifty an hour, and I'm like, dude. Do you understand when I started to work, it was $5.15. Oh, like, yeah, actual kids, teenagers can't complain. Like, not, not, I'm not, this is not going to be a podcast where we talk about the, the minimum wage on it, but no, uh, no, yeah, no. but for teenagers, obviously, just no, that, that's 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 yeah. what I meant, teenagers, yeah. but like someone who's just looking for his first job. But yeah, if you're not, if you're not supporting yourself and a family on this salary, then just <laughs> shut up and get your free popcorn, exactly. But okay, so. All right, Brandon, let's, um, without further ado, I guess, let's jump right into some of the movies that really kind of moved us. And, and, and for me, it really kind of molded who I am and what I expect from movies. And, and, and as I mentioned before, James Cameron is a huge influence on me. I, you know, when I was in single digits, I had a sleepover. When I was in single digits, I had a sleepover like in like fourth grade. All my friends were rowdy and my parents were pissed. My sisters were pissed. But they, we finally sat down to watch The Terminator, a movie that my dad like was trying to get me to watch, um, that I hadn't seen before. Like I was so mesmerized by it, I, I watched it like the next four days, like seven times, and I was like, wow. "What is this movie? It's so good." <laughs> and then, so it's funny because I can, I, my my father can remember conversations when we would talk. And of course, you know, my father has a degree in film theory as well, film studies as well. Um, I would be like, man, I really love Aliens, and I love Terminator. I love Terminator Two. Uh, I love that movie True Lies, and like he's just like that's all one person. You're you love one director, James Cameron, <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I got introduced to. But I was introduced to James Cameron super young, like mm-hmm. way way before most kids would have ever started, you know, of of content that series. But Terminator, Terminator Two, Aliens. I think Aliens might have been my first favorite movie. I could um, see that. Although yeah. Beauty and the Beast, I, I, I still credit as the movie that got me into uh, into cinema. I mean, I was super young. When that came out? Like 91? 91, yeah. That 91. movie's so good. That was the one that uh, one of my aunts had on VHS that we didn't. So anytime I was at the aunt's house, I was like, let's watch Beauty and the Beast right this second. Um, well, I mean, because all the Disney I... films. Disney Renaissance looms large in my life. I mean, I do theater to this day, and that there's a whole generation of theater kids that exist because of the Disney Renaissance. Oh, of course, and I mean, it's that's no joke either, and it's that's a shared like, and that, that's kind of a shared. Anyone but is my age, like all you pretty much have to do is mention, you know, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. Like everyone has, like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I love that. Like everyone's got that same reaction, you know. Yeah, so I wouldn't have known their names, but like Mesker and Clements, I guess, are are big are the first big directors that had an effect on me in a specific way. That's pretty uh, awesome. Yeah, actually. Aladdin was my jam. That. Aladdin is great. As a matter of fact, just a little aside, what? How did you feel about the new Aladdin? I am torn on it because um, I actually like some of the new stuff they did. Some of it. Uh, but I feel like they, they should have changed more because the, the worst stuff in it is when they just try to soullessly redo stuff that previously existed in the animated version. Uh, so the, like, like honestly, how Prince Ali was such a boring number to watch in the live action version. And it's the most exciting, vibrant number in, well, one of the most vibrant, exciting numbers in the animated film. And it was just boring and drab because they were just like, well, I guess we kind of got to do this thing. And you could have 
thought of a thousand different ways to do something different that would have been engaging and interesting because I like the way they expanded some of the genie plot line, giving him a love interest and wanting to be human and, and exploring that. But yeah, just a lot of it didn't didn't work out for me. I, I haven't liked any of the live action Disney's like some of it's been pretty at times and there's been little spots of stuff that I like, but I've not I've not looked forward to sitting down and watching any of them and I haven't left the theater going like, Yeah, what a great time I had. You know what that's because I just mentioned, of course, my big three were always, always in this order, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. And mm. I, I thought the Beauty and the Beast remake of those three w- was probably the best of the three because I was so disappointed in the, in the Lion King. Oh yeah, Lion King, I'm like, why Why does this exist? Because it, I have no, I, I can't connect with any of the characters because, spoiler alert, realistic animal anatomy doesn't express emotion in a way that humans recognize but you'd think that with whatever test okay so a little i I know that that movie cost 260 million dollars so and look and i can appreciate i i can surely appreciate especially coming from a james cameron lover you know furthering technology furthering animation making things look more real i can certainly appreciate that however you're right what you don't get you know, a lot of those conversations between, for example, Mufasa and Scar, where, you know, Jeremy Irons was like twisting and contorting his head in, mm-hmm. in, in ways that like he's a villain. He does that. But a live action can't do that, especially when like your goal is to make it look as real as possible because animals don't do that. You know Honestly, what I mean? Yeah, especially, I mean, Scar is the worst of it because what they did to be prepared, like there's no arc to Scar. It's it's so bad. The, yeah, The Lion King's very, very tough to watch. Uh, don't get me wrong, very pretty. I get that it's an amazing technology. It's astounding how real that looks. But it's, boy, howdy, do I not care to sit? I'm never going to sit down and watch that again. Well, that's the thing is those are some of the weaker ones. I mean, I, I mean, Mulan was pretty horrendous. I, I, at least in my opinion, Mulan was definitely not what I was expecting. But then I, again, did, I didn't watch that one yet, actually. You're probably, I mean, if you want to preserve your memory of Mulan, you're probably better off not watching that one. Well, also, here's the thing, too, though. I am a guy, and I always say this, that, like, don't get me wrong, sometimes it bums me out a little when there's remakes and sequels that don't need to happen. But I'm one of the people that says it doesn't change anything. If you don't like one of the a sequel to something or a remake of something, you still have the original. Nothing like you may think it changes things, but that film's always there for you. They, well, I don't. I feel like I can't be changed by new things that come out. I just don't understand how they wouldn't some of this see some what what Disney executive wasn't like. Okay, guys, maybe we should not because we got to shelve this. It doesn't look good. It doesn't feel good. Maybe we just just not do this. But that's well, how much I, I understand because I'm guessing over, they were over, probably right. I, I think all those mode movies I think made close to a billion or over. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's also that. You know, it's that's a thing, but this this the movie business is a is unfortunately a business first, but it has to be. If you don't put the business aspect first, soon you go bankrupt and you can't make any more movies. So I understand that completely. You know, the older I get, the more accepting I am that it's a business first. Yeah, box office one point six five seven billion dollars. Yeah, so I mean, that executive is right, and we're just two idiots on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, but I mean, I don't meet many people that speak very fondly of Mulan. I mean, I, I meet as many people that speak fondly of Mulan as I do that speak fondly of season eight of Game of Thrones, which is almost none. Oh boy! So I don't. That's that's not... whole, we can't do that. We can't start a whole other podcast no. just about Game of Thrones. No, okay, but so 
What, what, what about you, man? What was um, some movies that you saw, I mean, besides Mel Brooks, or they could be Mel Brooks movies, the ones that you saw super early and just really like that molded you because it was because you were so young? Yeah, the earliest film memory I have is, um, and it's a long story, maybe that's why it, it all got lodged in my brain. There was like a Cub Scout, like sleepover thing that I, I wasn't allowed to go to or I couldn't go to and I was really upset. So my parents would make it up to me, let me like camp out in our living room and went down and rented movies. And I got Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi and saw those for the first time. Um, wait, and wait I was had pro- you had you seen Star Wars? I had seen Star Wars. I don't okay. I don't remember much about seeing Star Wars, but I knew going at, like the memory. I was very young, so you know I have just different patches of memories. Um, but I know going into that that night when they let me rent the movies, I had seen Star Wars. I had loved it. I was crazy about it. And I wanted to see the sequels. And I think just my parents didn't have them on VHS at the time, or we didn't have access to them. And so uh, I wanted to see the sequels. They told me there were sequels. And so I rented them and I watched both of those that night. And so, yeah, so Star Wars looms large from a very young age. I was in single digits on that, uh, which is probably more common than watching True Lies as a nine-year-old, which seems a little <laughs> odd to me. Well, I, I saw, I mean, I saw Aliens before I saw Aliens. So I had to go back and watch that. I was like, oh, I got to see the first one now. But, you know, I, I yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, so that is it. That is the strongest one, and just the, the mat. I think that's what still gets me about about movies. That's why I'm I'm a sucker. Don't get me wrong. I'll still watch a nice you know character study drama, but I like the spectacle. I really I really go in for it, uh, and just the, the taking me to places that can't exist and worlds that don't exist, and the the magic of cinema that way. Honestly, I love it about books too. A lot of what I read is sci-fi and fantasy because I just like the speculative nature and and taking me beyond the real world making a little more magic, a little more amazing. Well, that's the thing. I mean, of course, you know, we've only had movies for, what, 150, well, not, not, not even that, like 120 years now, mm-hmm. something like that. But, I mean, movies were books. I mean, it, in, in, in all seriousness, when you, read, when you read a great book that really captured your imagination, that was, I mean, because a lot of people would, like, talk about how, oh, I, this is how I picture that guy. I definitely picture him like this. And, you know, it's, it's just an interesting way to, like, see that, you know. Yeah, it is very, yeah, when you're reading a book, when you have just the the, um, the mental image of the characters, um, and I always, I like, one of the reasons I like reading the books first is that way, if I really like the series uh, of books, then I get to, I'll sort of lock in my mental image. Like, if I go back and if I were to reread the Harry Potter books now, I wouldn't picture Daniel Radcliffe, I would picture the Harry Potter that I pictured when I was a kid and I read them for the first time. Uh, yeah, I can, I, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Although he does look... On the cover of the first book, Daniel Radcliffe looks pretty close. He does, yeah, and that's the thing. So, like, they would look very similar because of how he's dressed in costume. But you know, just it, it's hard to even describe. I don't, even, I you know, maybe if I work with like a police sketch artist to describe him, I can get the specifics. I'd have to read the book and take my <laughs> mind back there. But it is, you know, you have very vivid images. I think if you're reading a book that really takes you away of of the characters in your head and. Uh, so yeah, and, but it has the same sort of magic escape power as books have, and that's that's what really drew me to cinema. Um, like I said, I, I I do appreciate some some character studies and and some sort of you know, period pieces, dramas, and things like that. But my heart's always gonna prefer just real cool stuff that I can't see anywhere else. But that's that's the reason. I mean, that's the reason you go to a movie. That was you know part of the whole like escapism during the depression was mm-hmm. people to get rid of their to get to get out of the awful mundane life, they would just sit in a movie theater if they could afford it. They would just sit there for an hour, or even less, and just watch, you know, like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers dance. Because, like to them, like that was better than what was going on in the in the economy in the country for a lot of people. 
Oh, for so sure. sure. I mean, well, film is film is definitely like escapism at its best. I think film, you know, books, theater, anything that's a medium that entertains you, mm-hmm. of course, is a is a is a form of escapism. Yeah, which I think uh, is one of the reasons I'm like I'm more forgiving. Like, there are a lot of films that I get aren't art, uh, but I still have a lot of entertainment value for me. And I'm like, yeah, okay, the cinematography is kind of bland. The colors, the color grading is boring, and you know, it's it's kind of stated and, and standard across the board, but I still had fun with it. That that that's that's where I land at because it's it's kind of hard swimming in some film circles just because some people who want to be film people uh, get very sort of particular and protective well, of the art form. On the on the on the show on the on the regular show for the love of cinema, I always Chris and I refer to like, and I don't mean I, I, my goal here is to not insult anybody or call anyone out. My goal is to really get you to understand who we're talking about when I mention this. Is the same people that like. When they're drinking a glass of wine, put their pinky in the air because you know you know you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of snobby, better than thou. But I mean, that, again, I'm not calling anyone out. I'm just saying that's kind of how I picture your. But is is those people that you know they're like Transformers is garbage. Now Transformers might not be the best movie, but if you can't watch Transformers and at least be entertained, I think you're missing the point of Transformers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like. That's the whole thing is you're just fighting. I mean, at some point, you know, good versus evil is a, is a very common theme in films. Mm-hmm. And just watching good guys, you know, take out the bad guys, even if they're giant robots fighting, that's got to be on some level entertaining. Also, they're giant robots fighting. That's on some level entertaining. Like, I'm not going to stand up and say that the, you know, the intricate plotting of Transformers is, is a master study in, in you know, writing, but... I will say big machines punch each other pretty cool. No, I totally agree with that. As a matter of fact, I mean, I would even argue that the second Transformers movies has, has, you know, one of those moments where a hero is born. And like, and though, and like I'm talking like in American cinema history, there have been, I mean, maybe a dozen moments where like a hero is born in that moment. You know, one of them is in last of the Mohicans. Um, one of them is lethal weapon. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Lethal Weapon, but when um, Mel's character is, they think he's dead, and he's in the he they get then he goes to the desert to to, to fight them, and then it, it kind of their plan kind of goes south, and then then they're all like tortured, and then he somehow breaks free of his bonds, kills his captors, and chases the guy down the street in bare feet. Like you can argue that all you want, but the label on that particular sequence is here was born in that moment. Mm-hmm. And like I think the second Transformers movies, when um, one of the few bright spots in the entire Transformers series, I'll admit, you know, when Optimus is fighting Megatron in, in the woods and he's outnumbered three to one, I mean, like Hero was born in, in that moment. Hero was definitely born. So you can isolate that all you want, but like in that moment, that's what Bay was going for, and I, in my opinion, he achieved it. But that's just my humble opinion. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but no, I, I know Transformers cast now. We're gonna week to week. We'll break down the Transformers. <laughs> Um, it's just again those movies that aren't maybe tremendous you know pieces of cinema but are just damn fun to watch so there's nothing wrong with those oh yeah and but it cuts cuts both ways too because then also you know i'm swimming you know i'll swim in circles and just generically popular movies that i'll enjoy even have a good time and i'll tell people i enjoy but i'm like oh yeah but i kind of wish they had done this sort of thing or, or tried harder on this or you know done done something different with the cinematography or the directing or the editing and they'll be like, hey, man, it's just a movie. Calm down. I'm like, I, I, I said I enjoyed it. I already admitted enjoying the film. 
Like I'm allowed to, you can like something and also have valid criticisms of it at the same time. Of course. That's, you know, it's, it's art. Art is in its very nature subjective, if nothing else. Yeah. So, so. it's just, that, that's where I, that's where I land. I feel like a lot of times when talking about movies is trying to straddle the line be- between the two camps of being like, Hey, people don't be so uptight about this, but also like, it's fine if I say that this is bland looking or the, the pacing is off or this editing is garbage. Uh, cause I, you can like, you can still like it and those things could be true. They're not mutually exclusive. Uh, all right. What are some other, okay. Before we get to what your favorite movie is, I kind of want to save that for a little later, but what are some other movies that really kind of, you really respect and are always in like, maybe always in your top six or seven, always, no, no, no matter what happens, these particular movies are always in the top six, six, six or, six or seven. Oh, that's tough. Uh, it's going to be a lot of franchises. If I, if I'm thinking like all time big top six or seven and, First off, with franchises, it's hard to separate things out because, like, I'll think of the star, the original Star Wars trilogy, as like a unit of film. Well, like, yeah, I, I understand. I'd Empire accept that. Is, I would accept that as is like, you know, Star Wars, Empire, and Jedi as one installment. I, I, I would accept the original trilogy as you know one of those six. Yeah, uh, similar with Lord of the Rings. I mean, the Academy gave all the awards to the last one, but just because it's kind of like, well, good job, you did it. Three big movies. Um, uh, a lot of those seminal franchises like that. Um, yeah, I, I promise I try not, I don't, I don't do a lot of, you know, objective, objectifying my subjective opinion. So I don't like sit down and go like, these are my top favorite movies. And, and I, I don't really like curate that list in my head. I've never, I, cause I know they're like letterbox and stuff like that. I've never, I don't really do grades on movies. Uh, so that's why I'm trying to uh, think off the top of my head here. What, what would always be there? It's more like movies just catch me by surprise every once in a while I'll see something and I really admire. Like something from the past 10 years or so that I, I feel like I find myself talking about a lot is the film Arrival. I really loved Arrival. Oh, Arrival. That's Villeneuve. Yeah. I mean, and, that's the thing. That's why I'm so excited he's doing more and more. And obviously he's done every, everything he's done has been great But I mean, he, he also has a tiny little movie coming out. I don't know if you've heard of it. Dune. <laughs> that, I'm very excited oh, for that. I read Dune for the first time during the pandemic. So I'm excited to see... Uh, a, a good film version of it because <laughs> I also I did watch after reading the book I did watch the David Lynch version and then also the sci-fi uh, original series version the sci-fi made for tv like was better in terms of it was more coherent and, and stuck to the book more but it was also on the budget of an early 2000s sci-fi series or miniseries so right which wasn't strong back then no, and like there are things like they they have this this big like backdrop of a desert, but they can only afford one, so they have like a nighttime scene in the desert, and it's still like the daytime lit up desert backdrop. <laughs> it's very odd. I mean, it's that's what works though. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited for that. But obviously, I mean, um, the Blade Runner sequel is one of the most gorgeous things to look at. Just period. I mean, it's also a good movie. I I enjoy it all, but just looking at that thing is just a, a feast for the eyes. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Arrival, when that happened, I kept telling people, like, look, it's it's like a cool, it's a really smart sci-fi story that also is just shot amazingly well. Uh, See, that's that's cool the thing is, Arrival's definitely one of those, but Arrival's also, Villeneuve, for, his, for his, as young in his career as he is, he's also, he is 100% created, like, a very distinct style that you know what you're getting when you go to a Villeneuve movie. Like, you 100% know what you're getting. You know yeah, the tone, the style. The, the 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 film language and conversation you know with within the movie's themes you definitely know the, what those things are yeah he does a lot of slow and thoughtful which i think is probably just a breath of fresh air and sort of the the hypercut action like editing pacing of today 
Uh, so like slow and thoughtful as the overall moods of his films is very welcome for me. Um, yeah, but yeah, when Rava came out, I was I was a big uh, promoter of that. Uh, I don't well, like, all my all my DVDs are across the room. Like I could span through them and and, and pull out the titles that that jump out to me. Um, well, how, how about somebody, yourself? Let me see, let me hear your list. Well, I mean, your... Field of Dreams is is man, Field of Dreams and Last of the Mohicans. Those two battled out for for two and three all the time. I don't know which. It's just those are two fucking just amazing movies. Um, I think you know with with the emphasis on all these thirty years later sequels, which by the way, some of them are great. I mean, Blade Runner is probably one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. Um, twenty forty nine is just it's it's you said it earlier. Not not only is it, is it a visual feast for the for the eyes, but it's also like a heavy storytelling dynamo, which is yeah. like one of those things that's so hard to have one and the other. You usually have one or the other, but um, man, but Field of Dreams for all these. I wish we could get a thirty year sequel before we lose James Earl Jones forever of what happens when he comes out of the core. Now just think about it for a second here. Just give me a second. Um, I mean, the film's already laid out for you. You know, you have Costner, you have the wife, you have the daughter, you could all three of them. You could just, and then James Earl Jones all of a sudden comes out of the corn when, when their daughter comes home from college or, or whatever, and then telling him what he saw, you know, now are, are you telling me that doesn't excite you a little bit? I'm not saying this uh, exists. I, I, I'm saying I wish it existed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I would check it out. I'll be honest. You know, I, uh, while I enjoy the movie, I think it's a wonderful movie. I, I, I've never felt the draw to that. Like, I, there's so many people who are like I will watch that and cry it five times a year, and I'm like, it's very good. I get it, but it's, it's never been one of the ones that have just sort of drawn me to it in its gravity. Uh, it's also not my, you know, as I told you, it's sort of what, what I'm looking for. It's, it's a very sentimental film. Um, and just yeah, it, it, that one never hooked me as a person. Not not for any faults of its own, just from just from who I am and, and the sort of things I dig. That's that's fair, and I, I do think that um, Costner, I think his name is Kinsella. When he, when he's talking to um, the doctor, kind of in that in that he went back in time for that sequence. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Was he, when he's talking to the doctor about that. I mean, that is one of the my favorite moments in all of cinema is that conversation. He he has when he's um, the doc. What's I forget, I forget the doc's name. I've seen it so many times. Um, I forget the doc's name anyway. But he's talking about the feel of you know standing in front of a pitcher and then making and wink at him, make him think you make make him think you know something he doesn't know, and then you you stretch a double out and in, into in, in a triple, into a home run. You wrap your arms around the bag. It's like that. That is so, that to me is like some of the best writing I've ever experienced in a in a, in a movie. Um, and that's just for, it just, it just got me all the field of dreams just gets me. I get field of dreams, field of dreams gets me. Um, you know, another one for me that I don't, you might not agree with because it's maybe not your style, but last of the Mohicans is one of those movies that just the first time I saw it, I was in such awe of the, I was reeling for what I had just seen. I, I really, there's really in my life up to that point, I just was like, holy crap, that movie is incredible. You know, the Michael Mann's, you know, the very, you know, the, the long, um, the long, the long, like, what's the, what's the word for it? Um, methodical score, like the slow, but very beautiful and ambient score. It's just, of course, there's mm-hmm. that song from Mohicans. It, there's like, there's a, the, the prominence, which is the one, there's one track and there's a second track, which is the, like you, you, when you hear it, you know it's Mohicans. Mm-hmm. I just think that movie is so powerful. What do you, what do you, what do you think about the Daniel Day Lewis masterpiece, Last of the Mohicans? Uh, it has been 
years since I watched that thing. So, but yeah, it's, it, it was like I think it's a, a well made movie that's just not one not one of my films. And um, you know, I I, I saw I, I'm gonna steal the spotlight for like two more minutes. Um, Phenomenon I saw at such an early age, and just that's one of, that's one of my favorite movies of all time is Phenomenon with um, John Travolta. Is just again some of those conversations in that movie I think are some of the strongest writing I've ever seen. It's just I return to it again and again. Of course, Princess Bride, I, I I love. It's just one of the things that it really upsets me that they're remaking that movie. It really upsets me. Um, uh, I just once again, yeah. I mean, my remake stance is my remake stance. So yeah, this. Um, on, you know what's funny is uh, like switching gears a little bit, just for one second, is a, a movie that caught me at the right time and just I love because it's great. Is and I know we've talked about it, The Mummy. <laughs> oh, The Mummy's great. Uh, yeah, it, The Mummy is fantastic. Mummy and Mummy Returns. Those two. It's a one-two punch. It's it's fun, great great cast, amazing cast across the board who know exactly what they're doing, who know how to perform those parts. Yeah, the writing, directing, and performances all all are exactly at the same level. So if you, so if you don't like it, that's that's your it's not your thing. It's not your thing. But if it is, like it's all firing on all cylinders there. But it is, and it's like I to be honest, and I just thought of this the other day. Like I mean, you know, Godfather two, Aliens, Terminator two. Um, I would even put Leith, uh, Lethal Weapon 2 in that, some of the best original sequels of all time. But I mean, also, like, I just, it just kind of like hit me that would you include Mummy and the Mummy Returns as like some of the best original and sequels in, in the mix? I think I would. Um, it, once again, I, it's, it's, a, it's the subjectifying, objective, or objectifying subjective opinions is something I don't, I don't do very often because my brain's just like well i'm gonna forget something and then it's gonna be how dare i say this is this and that is that um oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna get used to that that every every episode you're gonna be like all right let's let's get a a list of these things i'm like oh shit oh okay (laughs) well you know it's just whatever comes to mind just this is you know what made us who we are so no, that's fair. And that's the thing. When I'm thinking about this now, I'm like, oh, I feel like when I was a kid, I was just watching anything. Like, movies were magic to me, so I just watched whatever. Um, I feel like I have fewer things that have, like, latched on. You talk about films you've watched a thousand times since you were a kid, and uh, there's nothing that... I don't really run the tape on anything like that a lot over and over and over again. Well, here, uh, here's my here's my advantage, and just give me one second. Here's my advantage is I do a lot of repetition in my in my work as a, as a second assistant accountant on films is... So, like, literally, like, to... To today, I listened to three movies. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, two days ago on Monday, I listened to the first two Lord of the Rings films, and on Tuesday, I finished Lord of the, uh, Return of the King. But like, I've seen them so like I I listened to them, and like I've seen them so many times that I know exactly what's going on. It's just yeah. like I I also experience them, like all these movies. I've like three or four hundred on my iTunes, but I I experience them all like once a month, if not more. So, I mean, there's a definite advantage there that I don't think a lot of people do, but that's I, just I something I do. One thing one thing that's definitely strong with me is uh, I have tied up, and I, I mean, I, th- I feel like a lot of the general populace has done this too. I have a lot of uh, holiday film nostalgia, specifically Christmas films. Like, to this point, I, I have like a slate of films that I watch, that I sit down and watch every December by myself uh, just to get into the holiday season. So the, the nostalgia of those movies is tied up in the holiday season and celebrating Christmas with my family and things. Uh, but that is, it's a very strong, it's the movies themselves that are the draw. So uh, uh, I have a, I have a just sort of a slate of, of Christmas movies that I love. Wait, give me, so. give me, give, uh, give us a few of them. Uh, my, I, I would say my, 
I, I call it my favorite just because I feel like it's the it's I don't enough people don't talk about it is Scrooged the Bill Murray Scrooged. Oh, Scrooge is great. Yeah, I love that I, one. I love it's very funny. The cast is phenomenal. It's just it's funny and just acerbic enough, but it has great heart in the end. Um, I do the both Home Alones, which uh, are what they are. They're very they're they're made for kids. They're family friendly movies. Uh, so you know they they're not always the deepest film, but great performances in that. I mean, it's, you know. Uh, the first one more so has sort of genuine heart to it. And then the second one gets a little wackier as it goes, but I still enjoy both of those. A lot of nostalgia tied up in those. Uh, I mean, obviously I'd, I'll do the, I'll do your Christmas vacation. I'll do Christmas story, uh, which I've just become sort of part, part of our cultural zeitgeist at this point uh, for both of those. And I do a lot of TV specials too. Uh, so I do a lot of the anime specials from when I was a kid Uh uh, yeah, so I'm trying to think of uh, all the other ones I do. Uh, yeah, I, I have just like a list of my my movie where I have my collection of little Christmas movies. And every December, I sort of pull them out. Like, all right, let's go through them, and by by Christmas Day, I'll have I've watched them all. That's you know, I kind of you know that now that you say that, the whole thing is my mom and I kind of have a tradition where we um we watch the California Raisins. I don't know if you remember. That's super. Oh, that's yeah. like. That was old when I was young, young, young. So yeah, that was I'd say that was like, but they were still around. Um, yeah, as sort of advertisers. So and they, it was on TV from time to time. Mom and I, that's kind of our thing. As we watch the California, Ra- although her tape is so. That's why I keep VHS tapes and old, um, old uh, like box CRT TVs around, mm-hmm. just so we always have the appropriate thing to watch it on. Because like it's different if you have like a VCR on like a flat screen; it doesn't look the same. Yeah, but I always sure. keep a, I always keep you know I would keep a couple of VCRs you know, brand new in box and a couple of TVs at home, just so mom and I always have that tradition to fall back on. Nothing's ever going to stop that. Um, I really enjoy that. And I hope to one day, if I do have a family, you know, let connect that with, you know, my one day, if I have a child, perhaps one to one day, but um, yeah, that's one that I love. Um, Rudolph or what's the, what's the, the Rankin and Bass ones, uh, the snowman, uh, frosty. No, no, no! This the snowman. We're like it's like the operatic singing the snowman. Do, 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 do. Remember, remember that? That's a terrible. That was a terrible impression. A fever dream. Um, you you'd remember it if if it brought to your attention, but um, yeah, if you if you like whatever Spotify, Apple Music you use, if you type in the snowman, you trust me, it'll jog your memory pretty quick. But that one, um, yeah, there's all kinds of. I mean, a lot of people joke about ha 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 die hard Christmas movie. How, you know, hilarious. Um, I mean, die hard's a great film, so I don't care. Well, die hard's a great movie, but is it, but is it a great Christmas movie or is it a great movie that happens to take place at Christmas? I mean, it's it's at this point that's the least interesting argument on the internet. It's been running for like twenty years now. Like, I get it. Very funny. <laughs> All these movies, are, Iron Man three is a Christmas movie. I get it. Ha uh-huh, ha, very fun. Um, I you know I consider the Lord of the Ring trilogy a, a Christmas. Yeah, we talked about this. I feel like last in our last episode when we got together, just because a new Christmas movie is just like that time of year and like what you would watch then, which is valid. I mean, there's no there's no legal definition of Christmas movie, so whatever, whatever makes you happy. Uh yeah. So let so without without revealing your favorite movie just yet, what tell me tell me some more movies that you kind of. First off, I'm pretty sure I revealed my favorite movie on the last episode we recorded. Unless you're gonna cut that out. Oh no, you, we did, didn't we? Dang, I yeah, we did. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: we recorded that episode a month and a half ago. I just haven't posted it yet. That's fair. So yeah. we're, we're we're getting to it, but yeah. So yeah. I guess yeah. So uh, refresh my memory. What was that again? 
Uh, so I, I, I caveat this because, like I said, I don't really object to all these things. So it's hard to say if this really would be like the film that I like the most. But I want an interesting answer that is something that not everyone's going to have seen or doesn't always talk about. And so my go-to answer oh, is Stranger Than Fiction. Stranger Than Fiction with Will Ferrell. Yes. Yeah, good, good call. I, for, because I was thinking about I was thinking about Stranger Than Fiction and Everything Must Go, which I just listened to on Friday. I love Everything Must Go. I, I love. I mean, and, yeah. and like you said, yeah. that's that's the DVD two-pack. You yeah, know, very, or or now that's the Blu-ray two-pack. Yeah, I'm very intrigued. I was, I just saw I, I didn't even read about, it, but there's that new movie coming out with Paul Rudd and him, uh, where Paul Rudd is the the therapist that sort of scams him. I can't remember all the setup on that one, but uh, oh, I the, the, even the title is a little wonky. I can't remember that title either, but yeah, but yeah. It's, it's it's very seventies, so they're all in in same clothes and and giant wigs. So uh, we'll be interested to see how that goes. What was that movie with um, Will Ferrell and Zoe Deschanel and Ed Harris? Is that Winter's Bone? No, no, that's a, that's not that. No, I don't remember them. But that Ed was also Harris, one of the movies. Will Ferrell that... and Zoe did Elf together. Yeah, but then they did another one with Ed Harris, as he was Ed Harris was kind of an old, disturbed guy, and he was Will Ferrell's not his character's not kind of not all there, but he's very protective of his friend. I don't remember the Winter's something, not Winter's Bone. That's a Jennifer Lawrence movie, I think. Yeah, and that's what uh, it'll, it'll it'll come to me, but um, of course, then I told then Braveheart, of course, is see to me. Let's just talk about our favorite movies for a second because that's kind of okay. We spoke last week briefly about your favorite movie. Pretty much sums up your what you like in film, and I guess you know I have always been way more partial to the big summer blockbuster or just the, the big blockbuster in general. You know, mm-hmm. where it's a hundred million dollars and you know the, the costumes are fantastic and the period is fantastic and you know there's weapons look real and the choreography looks great and whatever you're using. And uh Braveheart is just one of those movies that just I, I guess I watched it at the right time because that's the only movie that I've ever seen that has not changed slots. It has mm-hmm. been number one since the day that I saw it, since my you know, my 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 dad and I he introduced me to it. Uh, he introduced me to so many movies I love back in the day. Is, um, is like I, that's that's just it. The, the 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 absolute power and passion, you know the, the 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 whole like, you know even the beginning where like it's that that mysterious, you know James Horner the, you know I'm talking if you heard it you know what I'm talking about like the, yeah. then there's the black screen then there's the mist and then the 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 the, the, the title Braveheart comes through, comes through the mist. This is like the legend. Um, transcends time it comes through the mist you know like there's so many moments in that movie that are just brilliant and by brilliant i mean they don't happen like that by accident someone you know was thinking about that for a very long time yeah and and knowing and having known you uh for for the time i have like that it it doesn't surprise me that being your favorite film you you've always been a fan of just sort of like epic scale in terms of everything an elemental nature so like the epics need to be like sweeping it needs to be like the deep down fundamental forces of nature good and evil fighting each other the romances need to be like the deepest important thing it is you know it is shakespeare and and sort of high scale drama in that in that regard and that's always been sort of your jam your go-to i remember you would you, you know that's the sort of stuff you'd lose your mind for uh uh so yeah it, it totally fits that that being your favorite movie and it, yeah, like, you're right. The very, your favorite movie, what what draws you in, sort of speaks to what you what in, in the the deepest part of you that even you don't even think about is is attracted to in movies. Yeah, that's. I mean, it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt. There's the best picture winner too. 
Yeah. Um, I hate when I bring up one of my biggest pet peeves is when I bring that movie up. A lot of people are, oh, Mel Gibson, he's an asshole. I'm like, well, he wasn't then. <laughs> he was, Mel Gibson was literally the biggest film star on the planet for like five years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he had, uh, he had a whole run there. I mean, he was he was the biggest thing for five years. And I'm not quite sure many people have favorite actors who ever achieved that that are still living today. Um, but I mean, it's just, there's, you're, you're, you're right though about like the, the overall scope of that movie and what's going on. And it's, you know, it's the combination of, you know, Horner's score, which is fantastic. Um, you know, some of those scenes, which are so, I call it the Randall Wallace overwrite, which he does that for a few more movies too. The Randall Wallace overwrite, you know, the, of course, I think the, he had to put it in there that somehow Wallace got the princess pregnant and then, a Scottish baby was going to be the king of the, you know, that's the whole thing. Like, but it works, man. It just works. Um, but on the same token, strange in the fiction for you, as I can also see 100% is like, oh, yeah. it's, it's that's a your concept kind. comedy uh, that has a sci-fi fantasy kind of premise. It, it, yeah. So it is, it's all those little things are like, it is weird and funny in a, in a dark way, but also like never loses the comedy. But, and then it has real heart in the end. It has heart in a way that, it's not it's not like wearing it on a sleeve like with me if it gets overly sentimental my brain like the cynical side of me is like oh okay whatever i get it you think you're so clever because you're sad in this moment or oh i get it they're in love whatever so it, it kind of it kind of balances those very well and it's all that is weaved through the rest of it i mean you know uh what an, and what an amazing cast too you have you know emma thompson just being acerbic and and delightful um Along with yeah, Will Ferrell, one of his one of his most restrained performances too. That's saying he's so good at being loud and insane. It's so great to have him just run a whole film as a person who is terminally restrained and and too quiet and doesn't live his life. So just I sort of seeing that, that performance, yeah. yeah, and just working through the thought the, the thought exercise of like, oh, what would it be like? Oh yeah, man, this person is can can narrate them, and then yeah, her breakdown when she realizes if maybe all her characters are real and she killed all those people by writing the books and just that journey she goes on, uh, and then just yeah, that the ending speech is just the right amount of of hokey. It's too clever by half, but it's the too clever that I kind of like. Uh, the whole final speech about uh, Bavarian sugar cookies and the wristwatch saved Harold Crick. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's my jam. But it's also one of those things, you know, the first thing I think about when I think about is Fringe of the Fiction is all those things you just said. And one of those things that makes Harry Potter so interesting as a character, especially in the younger books, is they know they're going to die and they go anyway. You know, I mean, he, you, you, you might not think of Harold Crick as, as a, like a, as like one of those heroes, like the, like the heroic kind, but he, I mean, by definition, Harold Crick is absolutely a, one of those heroes hero. Yeah. You know what and, I mean? Like, and for me, the important thing is I think because of the meta nature of the story, it has that level of detachment that it's like, okay, if we're going to do this thing where it's about a hero sacrificing themselves, we're going to make the story about that. It's about them. Like, okay, well, let's talk about stories about heroes that sacrifice their lives. And that helps me not, that that stops it from hitting like the cynical side of me and going like, I get it, whatever, he's sacrificing himself. Uh, which, you know, it's just who I am. I, I understand that that's not always the best side of people, but uh, that, that's what gets me in sort of overly saccharine films uh, that have that. So that's what I like about it. It has that, since it, since it is talking about the story, it's a story about stories. 
it allows me to sort of have one level of separation from everything and sort of, you know, appreciate what's going on from a, a, a detached way. I can, I can see that. And it's, it's not surprising that that is your favorite movie or that is someone's favorite movie. Cause it's, it's, it's very worthy of that. I mean, there are, there are movies, there aren't many movies. I would say there's no way that that can be someone's favorite movie. I just refuse to accept it, but that's certainly not one of them. Yeah. Uh, but but th- those movies do exist. <laughs> they absolutely do exist. Oh yeah. And that's, so, and that's the thing. So like, I, I, I want it to be an interesting answer that like, if, if I'm in somewhere where people are asking my favorite movie, I'm like, well, you know, if I if I keep that for years and, and one other person goes out and watches Stranger Than Fiction who hasn't seen it, then then my job will have been done. But that's the thing is, now I don't want this to sound egotistical. And of course, when you say when when you start something by one of those statements, the next thing they're going to say is that like, thing. <laughs> but um, what really bugs me, and I guess I can say if look, I mean, we're forty eight minutes in. If you're listening to this, you're a movie person too. So. What really kind of bugs me about when someone talks highly about a movie that someone hasn't seen is they're like, oh, yeah, I'll check it out. And then they they never have any intent to. And I understand you're busy. I understand you might forget. But it's the tone of voice when, when you know someone has no intention ever of watching that movie. And mm-hmm. that kind of irks me a little bit because, I mean, we live in the age where literally everyone has an opinion and everyone's opinion has to be right. Um Part of the reason I started this years ago is because I was just, you know, everyone always thinks they have the right ticket to what a movie is. And I was one of the, I was probably one of the, one of the worst offenders back then as you talked about in the last episode, I was absolutely one of the worst offenders of that. Um, but you know, growing up, I've, I've, I've really mellowed out and tapered out and, and really kind of tried to understand what some of that is. And I guess my most recent frustration is, uh, Ted Lasso, which mm-hmm. continues to be one of the best shows I've ever seen or that anyone has ever seen. And people still are like, eh, eh, maybe one day when I get to it, like, come on, man, I'm, I'm giving you one of the best things you're ever going to watch. And you're telling me when you get around to it. I mean, it's also behind a paywall though. Like, so if you don't have Apple plus and I'll be honest, there's not, there's not tons worth watching on there. Not yet. In my I mean, opinion. It's yeah. Apple and there definitely will be, but you're, you're, you're right. You're, you're yeah, right. I, I have. I mean, I agree with Ted Lasso. I really, I, I really enjoyed Ted Lasso. Um, uh, I'm, I'm like two or three episodes behind at this point, so I haven't finished the season yet. But, but I do, I do really like that show. Um, yeah, it's, that's tough for me. I get it. Um, I mean, but here's the thing: I always tell people I'm not going to watch something. You've had it many times. You'll tell me something. You're like, you should check us out. And go, I'm not going to do that. Fair enough. Fair I'm upfront. I'm upfront about my time. I know what I'm going to do. If I'm not going to watch something, I'm not going to try to hide it. it, it what's it matter? It doesn't. It's not going to matter to me. I don't need to fake like I'm going to watch something I'm not. I get that. I mean, it's it's fine, but that's the whole thing. Is like so many good movies out there. Why are we? And I just had a conversation with someone um, uh, on the show actually of Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. And what are you prioritizing above House of the Dragon? What do you? I mean. Season eight may have been abysmal, but the the, the Game of Thrones show overall is is a damn near nine or a ten. So yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, the one thing I would say for House of Dragon is I have I own the book, I haven't read the book yet. So a part of me is like, okay, do I want to read the book first or watch this show first? Um, and honestly, I might be able to read it before it comes out. I don't know. It just depends on if I hit one of my my hot streaks where I read a bunch of books back to back. Um. But, uh, you do like, you 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 power through books books pretty quick if I remember right. 
if I'm in the, that's the thing. I normally do like one thing at a time. So either like I'm watching a bunch of TV or movies where like all my free time, I'm just sitting down and watching something or, uh, or like I'm playing a video game. So like, all right, all my free time I'm sitting down and I'm playing through a game or reading books and it kind of comes in cycle. So like I'll have a month where all I do is play video games in my free time. So, you know, if I'm not working or doing other things, hanging out with people, I'm just sitting down on my couch and firing up my steam library and playing something there. And so I had, I had like a good two and a half month streak during the pandemic where I had like 13 books just back to back to back to back. Uh, and it was really fun. And then I sort of got into watching a bunch of TV shows and then I got into watching a bunch of movies and then back to video games. So yeah, if I hit it, so it, I mean, it's very possible for me, especially with that one, I could pick it up on a weekend and then read it having, having read it like a week later. Um, and cause I enjoyed the other, cause I've read, um, he's had, he had some short stories that were written by the same maester, you know, the, the in universe, cause it's a book within a book, like the, 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 the dragon, the Targaryen book is like written by a maester of the Citadel, sort of recapping the history of the Targaryens. Um, and so I've read a couple short stories that were the same way written by the same person and I've enjoyed them. Uh, so I, I imagine I'd have a good time with it. And I mean, I honestly, I love that book series that I was, I was a fan of the book series before the show came out. I read the, I read the books in college. And, uh, so I was very excited when the show came out. I'm very glad it became such a phenomenon, uh, that for all the troubles that we had in the end, I at least got to see a lot of really cool stuff that I loved on screen that I wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. Well, I mean, Thrones has to be the gold standard of fantasy television, right? Mm-hmm. It has to be like the, the, the ring trilogy has to be the gold standard for, you know, like a trilogy of fantasy epics of like, yeah, med- we'll of like medieval fantasy. Yeah, we'll see how because uh, Amazon's doing their uh, Middle Earth series. Um, there are rumors of I think there's rumors of HBO doing a Harry Potter series. I've heard those same rumors. I don't know how true they are, but I mean, they'd be foolish not to. Well, they'd they'd be foolish to. They'd be foolish to not finish the prequel films and then do some sequels. Okay, think about this. We're talking about movies that. We're talking about the, the focus of this episode is things that excite us in the movie world. So I think there is so much potential in – I mean I, I want to see the three, the, the three prequel movies that are, we have been promised. I don't know if they're going to do three. They might shorten it. I know there's been a lot of trouble in that, in, that, you know, in that camp lately. But think of all the potential you have in a 10 – or well, 20 years later, Harry Potter, you know, uh, a trilogy of movies after – Voldemort's defeat where they're old enough and you know the kids are obviously like almost through school or done with school think of the possibilities you have with Harry and Malfoy and it's just of course yeah, Mal- the, the problem is that's when the play is set and the play is pretty bad well then just ignore it <laughs> that's that's fair I'm saying you know that so like the first attempt at doing that what the story it was garbage well but that's uh, unfortunately that's what happened but that also wasn't a movie and you can only Movies, I think, come out better than – I'm not going to say it's better than stage. Please, if you're a th- play enthusiast like you are, Brandon, I, I understand. I'm just it's, – it's a very different medium. Oh, yeah. It's very um, different. They're very different mediums. But just from, just from a story structure, like if it had been a novel, it would have been bad. Like the, the, the events that happen in the, in the story are not good. Well, then and it can be – well, I mean, they're poorly written. But just imagine the possibilities of, you know, of Draco in need of redemption from early from what I mean, literally his family almost bringing about the end of the Wizarding World. Oh yeah, don't world. get me wrong. Like I'd be there. I, I'd be there day one, growing up with those books. I, I you know, I'm I'm not I'm not immune to weaponized nostalgia. I mean, I'm sitting here like 
so f- like losing my mind and excitement to see Alfred Molina back as Dr. Octopus because I love that movie. I'm like, yep, I, I know it's, I understand world's largest corporation. Uh, we, we can't, we, if we go down that path, we can't. Yeah, we, we're not done. I'm, I'm saying, yeah. So uh, obviously I'll, I'll be in the tank for any, any Harry Potter sequels more continuous in that universe that they have. I mean, I just, 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 to... just for another five seconds. So did, did, did you see Venom 2? Let there be Carter. I Let did see Venom 2 actually. I thought, cause I hadn't seen the first one. So this week I watched I am, the first one and the I last, the last one. The, the the mid credit sequence like that's all that like venom in the MCU that's all you need. <laughs> uh, oh. Well, I, I have issues with that. But we're, okay, but it, it, this isn't that podcast. But yeah, it'd be a longer discussion. <laughs> I very I like you said I I want Alfred Molina in Doc Ock. I'm excited for the you know Garfield and um, the other ones return. I, look, that's going to be great. But I as long as you know our our motto on. For the for the love of cinema is I just hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> oh, I mean that's well, it's it's you saw fanboys, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I do to this day. Me and my friends, we're going to see a movie. We just turn to each other. But what if it sucks? I mean, that's I mean, look, the most of the big franchises movies suck now. It's just that's just how it is, you know. Well, just... I, I remember I, I remember that feeling. Uh, I think the first time it really hit me, like as an adult, was we were in college and when Green Lantern came out, or maybe it was after college. I can't remember what year that was. 2006, 2007? I just remember watching the movie. Yeah, so I was still in college. I remember watching the movie and like as it happened to me, like, oh, this is this is a very bad movie that's happening at me. And just like getting bummed out as the movie went on. I was like, oh, I was so excited for this thing and it, and it does indeed suck. Well, I mean, I, I guess we're going to go a little past an hour today, folks. So apologize for that, but it won't be too much past. But one thing I do, I did want to talk about today and you kind of like bridged us into it was uh, I... I do have some very serious heartbreaks in the in the movie world, and I, and Brandon, you're very aware of them. I I, I know you're aware of them. Um, Terminator is one of my great loves, mm-hmm. and and that's now dead. Like 100, percent that is dead. Dark Fate was supposed to be a second chance. It was you know Dark Fate got rid of everything after Terminator Two it was supposed to be a sequel to Terminator Two, and Dark Fate itself was abysmal. Mm-hmm. Um, at and I'm being generous, I think. Um. Alien is, I think, at this point. Now Ridley Scott keeps saying he's going to make another one that that forgets several of the movies in the franchise with Michael Bean and and Ripley about how they get picked up and they didn't die and they get picked up in space. It's a direct sequel to two, and their chamber or whatever got broken, so they're aging normally, which makes sense because you know the real actors aged. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be a nice return for Newt. Um, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I just think those two franchises are so far gone and there's been so many bad movies that it's just not worth saving. And you can say what you want, but the, the following statement is true. At one time, both those, both those franchises were the creme de la creme. They were excellent. You know, Alien, I'll even give you Alien 3. I'll, you know, for, just for argument's sake, just for the, if you want to call it the Alien Trilogy, Fine. It ends with Ripley sacrificing herself to kill the last queen, so these goddamn things are dead. Fine. I'm okay with that. You know, the second one added war and action. The third one adds religion. I'm actually kind of okay with that in a weird way, being an alien purist. But I just the movies that came after, to me, is unforgivable. The two attempts by Ridley Scott to or Pro Prometheus and then the Alien Covenant are just they're they're so far off base. And same with Terminator. It's just those are my two major heartbreaks in, in cinema, Alien and Terminator. Yeah, well, you say that, but 
Like, the problem is, it's a matter if the rest of cinema catches up with, like, horror. Because, I don't know if you're aware of this, there are, like, three different Halloween 2s. Uh, so, there's, and like, even made by, like, Carpenter made a Halloween 2, and now, decades later, then Rob Zombie did a remake and a sequel to his that was a different Halloween 2. And then, the most recent franchise started off with a direct sequel to the first Halloween, but not Halloween 2. So, it's another Halloween 2. So, like, it's it's possible, and... If a studio just comes out, I mean, I don't think it's going to be soon. I don't think it'll be Cameron doing it, but I can see a day where they're like, all right, uh, this is a sequel to the, this, the first two aliens and then half of Alien 3. That's what's real. And then we're continuing from there. And audiences just go, I guess, here's my money. I'll go see it. Well, but that's what they thought about Terminator and it just didn't do anything. Like it just, it didn't, it did like a hundred million to box office. Most of that was foreign. Um, and I get that, but I think people are just, I think people sometimes just are like, oh, those last few were pretty bad. I'm, uh, no, I'm okay. And like, that's that's the extent of their, are you going to watch it? No, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Well, now what I think also contributes to that is the fact that like things come out on DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, whatever. I almost said VHS. Um, things come out and then like, you know, streaming services like two months later. So that also hurts numbers as well. oh yeah not having that's why like mid-budget movies are gone because the home dvd market's gone like you used to be able to make a, a just like okay whatever comedy before for you know however many how many tens of millions of dollars and then like okay well dvd sales though to sit at walmart and we'll sell so many of these and it'll be fine doesn't need to do box office money but like that's streaming awesome. has changed that completely because like even if you make a really crappy movie like Kissing Booth Three, it's still it's Kissing Booth Three is one of the worst movies I've seen in two years. It is still profitable for for Netflix, and I'm I'm not, I'm not talking profitable. I'm talking like that movie was viewed like tens of millions of times. So I don't know what their metrics are, I, I don't know how, what the accounting is like on on that stuff though. In terms of like, okay, well, I don't I don't, I don't know how they monetize, but they they must have monetized somehow. Yeah, but I mean. If you get a movie that doesn't do great in the theater, for instance, a big release, and then, you know, two and a half months later, maybe six weeks later, it's on Netflix, boom, 13 million more views. Like, how do you, but that's the thing is. Well, it's not, but I mean, for the studios, how much does the Netflix, because if it didn't do well, I don't, that's the thing. I don't, I don't know enough about streaming contracts. And also at a certain point, you know, I don't need to know. No, no, uh, of course not. But I'm saying that, I mean, streaming changed everything is now, now, I oh. mean. I'm sure, sure people are making movies just to sell to streaming services. As long as they make more than what they spent, they consider it a win, I'm sure. Yeah. So that's what, I mean, that's also, is, gets, gets, it gets super weird, but I'll try, try to get back to, what, come on, you you got to have at least one heartbreak in cinema. At least one. I, I have a dozen. You got to have one at least. Well, the problem is like all your heartbreaks are related to franchises that like have gotten ruined. And at a certain point, like since because of my sequel, remake stance of i always have the originals um it doesn't happen to me as much there are movies that i wanted to be good that just weren't that bum me out like the amazing spider-man franchise um well while i was like okay we're redoing this again i love the the, the sam raimi trilogy so much we're doing this again um and i was like okay well they have good people behind it, it you know it, it looks like it could be good and there were moments in it but it just it just was fundamentally wasn't a good franchise uh that so that kind of bummed me out uh, yeah, it's, I'm trying to think of big heartbreaks like that. Uh, I mean, honestly, Game of Thrones is a bigger heartbreak than the, than any movies I can think of right now. Just because I was thinking about those books for years and just the way they just shit the bed at the ending. 
Yeah, uh, Game, uh, Game, uh, Game, Game of Thrones is a is a massive, but yeah. it's like it's 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 not just a heartbreak. It's it's anger for me. It's it's complete anger. And how those people haven't, how those people are still working is so beyond me. The Benioff and Weiss, it, it's it's so far beyond me. I don't. It get did it. bring me such joy though that because they they were so bad, they lost the Star Wars film that they were too distracted with to actually do a good job on Game of Thrones. Well, but that's, I mean, yes, that's, that's their just rewards. Yeah. For, I mean, I, I understand. Correction, it's a TV show. Calm down. Um, like, but I mean, I have the ability to attach myself. Like I said, like I'm fine with sequels. I still enjoy the things I really like. But for me, honestly, Rise of Skywalker is probably one of the bigger heartbreaks. I, I think it's bad. It's a terrible way to end the, the nine films. Um, and they try to retcon stuff that I loved, and then they just don't do anything with what they have. And I just, I just do not care for that movie. And can anyone, anyone, tell me why Palpatine is back? I, I don't want to hear the nerd reason. I want to hear the real reason. None of you uh, can. I mean, studio can. executive panic. That's why Palpatine's back. I mean, I, I can't even begin with like. That's one of those things. It's, I just can't even begin. Why the hell did that? Why was that a thing? Why was that ever a thing? Now, let me ask you this. Does that make you... Did that See, I didn't hate Nine as much as most people. Um, I just didn't like it at all. Uh, well, it uh, the thing that most bummed me out about it is, uh, as you know, as we discussed ages ago, that I, I am one of the, the fans who really enjoyed The Last Jedi. And it is so clearly an attempt to just ignore and forget everything The Last Jedi did that thematically and where where sort of last jedi left the story to go uh that that bummed me out like oh i would have liked to see in a sequel to last jedi is is more what i'm at like it i still have all the star wars that i love but just i'm like well now i'm definitely never gonna get a chance to see a sequel to last jedi so that that bums me out that that's the heartbreak of it for me i can understand that uh certainly that was that that, that trilogy was just so dis- disconnected and disjointed, but I mean, that's going to be a focus here soon. So let's just not talk too much. On yeah, that. that's I didn't. That's why I didn't want to pour into it. But I'm like, okay, like of the film heartbreaks, that is that is one of the more the more significant ones there. Um, Definitely, that's you know, it's just I have a lot of film. I mean, we we could almost do a whole episode on film uh, film heartbreaks, but uh, we probably shouldn't do that. But let's get back just for the last few minutes. Maybe get back into uh, movies that you know. What about right? I know, I know, Brandon. You are working on, as you mentioned last episode, you're working on directing a play. Mm-hmm. Is there a movie in particular that that after you like that was that was the movie you credit with wanting you to like be the head of a production, be it film or play that you um, want to direct? Uh, I'll be honest. It, I don't think it was uh, a movie. Like they're they're very different mediums. Uh, so wanting to direct for the theater, I mean, I enjoyed performing theater for years. You know, I sort of did it in school and and realized like, oh, I really enjoy being in front of people and performing. Um, in terms of directing, uh, a lot of it started just with like listening to cast albums. Uh, when I, I worked at a library in college, and I had to shelve books, and so just you know hours of sitting there in silence. So I had you know uh, the first generation iPod at that point and listening to. <laughs> Uh, music on that and i would listen to things and they're like oh, okay well as i'm listening to these cast albums i started to picture the show in my head and i'm like oh i guess i'm kind of creating what the show would look like on stage uh and then i saw um a revival of the show company directed by john doyle uh which where all the actors played the instruments uh 
while they sang. So they are all instruments, and, and like he incorporated that into the storytelling because basically then the ability to play a musical instrument was the ability to uh, emotionally communicate honestly. And so the whole story of the company is that this, this guy's turning 35 and he's kind of shut off and denying that he wants a relationship and all his friends are married. And he's just kind of the fun single guy who's never been tied down. And so the whole show, he's never playing an instrument. He never touches it. At one point he has a kazoo and he kind of plays ironically, almost mocking their sincerity of emotional expression. And then for the final number, uh, when he finally breaks open and it like admits what he wants and what he needs, he sits down at the piano and he starts playing this big lush opening to the song and it just hit me like a freight train, like right in the chest. And I was like, oh, and it's the first show because it's such a specific idea and such a specific concept. I was like, oh, I get what like directing a stage play is now because it was so overt. And like I could see the strings and the fingerprints of a director all over it. Because most times with with productions, like you have the script and you're just having the character do the script. It's And, you know, you don't want to be thinking about what the director was telling them to do while you're watching it. You want it to kind of be invisible and just disappear into the work itself. Uh, but that one, by its nature, was so obvious to me that what the director brought to it, I was like, oh, I think I get it now. I, I get the idea of it. And that seems like something that'd be very creatively fulfilling. I can really see that, especially knowing you. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was definitely the, the I call, call the, the the three, I call this looking called the, the three-two punch, but that doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was Beauty and the Beast. Was one of my first like times like I I just I got the movie magic. Mm-hmm. I know my dad always tells a story where he took me, but he could like I was standing up, my jaw was literally to the ground. I couldn't like that last ending sequence when like it wasn't just two people fighting, but it was he could look at me and my 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 mouth was open, my eyes were wide. He's like Grayson, I just knew that you were getting the fact that Gaston Gaston being the villain and the beast is the beast is in such a rage, but Belle's voice cuts through all that and is able to find him and bring him back down from the red, you know, from, from, from that rage he, he, he was in. He's like, I just could tell you understood it. At your tiny little age, I could tell that you got that. Mm-hmm. When other kids were just like watching what was happening on screen from figures fighting, he's like, you, you were different. I, I could tell you got it. And then, you know, years later, there was, there was some moves in between, you know, the, the aliens, the Terminator, Terminator 2 and then Braveheart of course was my next you know key and then a couple a couple years later was the Ring Trilogy and that was like the Ring Trilogy to me was such a it was such a mind-blowing thing I, I, I don't even think I can't even begin to tell you what that was like for me it was when I watched the Fellowship I got out of the Fellowship I had felt the same thing I thought when I when I when I had seen the the last of the Mohicans. I was just I had seen something that was just so far beyond one viewing. I had mm-hmm. to see it again ten times. Like it just it's one of those things that just holy crap. And I know you have you had a very similar reaction to the Fellowship of the Ring. I know we've talked about it before. When that yeah. was just that to me that was storytelling on the screen. You know, like it just it was those three movies that really like that's it. That's what I credit every time with those three moments in time was like, that's when I knew I wanted to make something. I mean, I always want to make it. I want to make one $100 million movie uh, in my life. And I have several buddies who are producers and they're always looking at, I have one script in general that they're looking at like, well, if you get to this point, we could probably do something with it, but it's got to get to that point first. So I'm, I'm, I'm actively working on that. But uh, yeah, that's uh, what, tell me about your, your fellowship of the ring 
experience. I, I, I know we have a very similar out, outlook on that one. Uh, Fellowship of the Ring, for, for, as much as I, because I did read a fair amount as a kid, like the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit just never got to me. And so I remember I was, I was in this, uh, it was like a summer camp thing in Kentucky. It was like a five week thing where I was staying down in Kentucky. And one of the weekend activities they took us on was like, oh, we're going to go to this dollar theater. So Lord of the Rings had been out. It was during the summer. Uh, so Lord of the Rings had come out the previous winter. And we go there and it was, oh God, the, the, the movie with Denzel Washington where his son needs a heart transplant and he takes oh, the people. John, John Q. John Q. It was, I think, I believe it was John Q and, and Fellowship of the Ring were playing. And I was like, well, I don't, I guess I'll see Fellowship of the Ring. I don't, you know, I, I know it's a fantasy story or whatever. I like some fantasy stuff. And yeah, it just, if you, especially being unprepared, like I don't even know if I watched a trailer for that thing. And just sitting down and seeing just the landscape. I mean, there's something about it, especially not like, I would, honestly, I was amazed then. Imagine now if I hadn't seen that before and seeing <laughs> this, the CG landscape now every movie is set in. And then going, I was like, oh my God, they captured real f- mountains and, and hillsides and fields uh, on film. What is this? With that, actors yeah, that, and that, costumes. Was, that was back in the, in the days of practical. Yeah, it, well, and then because I, I, so I, so I was blown away by it, and it was just a dollar theater, so I couldn't like watch it back to back to back. But then I was, you know, I was first day release there Friday morning for the next two when they came out. Uh, but then it, I think the big thing with that was in college I got the extended DVDs as you do, and just the special features—they're so well made, and they take you into every aspect of the filmmaking. There's like whole hours long footage of just the costume department talking about how they make the costumes how they do the fittings what the thought behind what the design process was the director coming and signing off on it and transporting the costumes and dealing with the practicality of it and just everything and just just one example and they did for all for editing for sound design for foley for for you know uh for shooting and just the, the writing they had the writing section so all of that just being broken down so much i was like oh it's really cool to see this the the whole filmmaking process sort of captured for a film that is really great but then also they break it down how they made it that way so that i think that was a big gateway moment for probably a lot of people when they first saw those special features special features are you know they're like i mean the movies themselves are long but special features believe it or not i think are longer than someone did a you they clocked them and like the special features are like almost twice as long as the movies yeah i remember one one week in college i like i'd seen it before but i i like I, I only had like one test or something so i like went to that and then the rest of the class i didn't have to go to so i just like sat in my dorm room and i watched all the special features from all three in like a giant week-long marathon it was great that's a it's, it's a hell of an experience and it's just because i remember my mom was my mom reads more books than anyone ever met and i know i mean she just puts book and book and book and you know she has always been when we were younger she was always reading us I mean, when my brother and i were like super young i mean like five or four she was reading us, you know, the Iliad, the Odyssey. As we would go to sleep, she'd read to us like these, these these Greek stories, and you know, then there was Tolkien, which she just heard. My dad just loved. So, like months before the Fellowship came out, she's she's like, "You, me, and your brother, Grayson, that Friday night, don't make any plans." I'm like, "All right, I'll find. I'll go to a movie." I wasn't like psyched about it because like I was in that phase where I was like you know, Harry Potter's stupid and, you know, wizards and come on, how good can this possibly be? It's so make-believe. Uh, and it just, it just blew my mind. I, I, I was so wrong about that. And like, she was just enamored that we loved it. It just, and then of course I, I, I read them real soon after that. I, I didn't unfortunately read them. Um, she had read them to us and I guess I must've fallen asleep all the time pretty quick. Cause I never, I don't remember too much about it. And I tried to read them 
Um, but I just kind of got lost and bored. But, but when you're, when you're that young, it, it's hard to, but man, oh, yeah. that, that was a huge gateway for me was the fellowship. Oh yeah. Don't feel bad. Those books took me, I think two or three attempts to actually get through successfully. And I did actually, or over pandemic, I read the Silmarillion and that is not an easy read. Yeah. I've not done that. I know people who have, but I've, I've not done that. And I was, I was home for about a month and a half before I went out, went out again to work overseas for a little yeah. while, but I did Brave the Silmarillion, which is actually a very good read if you have a chance. It's very Tolkien-esque. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. Yeah, as you might imagine, though, my two-read stack on my bookshelves is, you know, 12 miles long. So I, I don't know if I'll be tossing that in anytime soon. <laughs> well, it's also not like – it's not like an exciting read either. It's a very boring read. But Fair. If you yeah, love but, it, no, it is very – like just the level of world building uh, is, is so so fascinating. And so that, that's what Silmarillion stands. But let's be honest, though, about – I mean – and I, again, I can remember you and I walking down the halls of Carmite as, as ushers cleaning theaters talking about this very thing I'm going to mention next. One of the last things we'll, we'll, we'll mention is there's a good chance that if someone else made those movies, they would have been worse. I'm not saying Jackson made the perfect movies that he could have, but I mean, I think they're as close as they possibly can be without knowing for sure. Oh yeah, like I I don't I don't want to imagine I don't want anyone else to have taken a stab at those movies. Like those are so good. They're so and they're so singular because you know between him and his writing partners wrote it and then he directed it and just yeah and you've seen the special features the way he signed off on everything and because it was him it just kind of became the New Zealand thing. So he had all the local people working on it and it made it what it is. And, and moving him at all would have changed so many things. So. Uh, it's one of those, those things are, just yeah th- those are you know it is ultra uh, theory has is problematic as it is uh because filmic is always a collaborative medium but yes uh very important that he directed those films i agree um i also feel the same way about i also feel the same way about the hobbit i i i love the hobbit films i i understand they're not nearly as good but i think they have great moments i mean i think who played what martin freeman i think is oh, martin freeman's phenomenal like yeah. i mean he is the shining star of those movies in the, in those movies in which there are many shining stars, but he is the shining star of those movies. It's, I remember when he got cast and I was like, is he's going to go through and play every like famous British literature put upon person thrown on an adventure? Cause he had already done Arthur Dent from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is also a great movie. You know? <laughs> oh yeah. I re- Oh, I love that movie. Uh, um, Actually, honestly, like, while I do value the Hobbit films for what they are, that might be another heartbreak of mine. Just slip it in here at the end is I just kind of want to see what Guillermo del Toro's Hobbit would look like. I like Guillermo del Toro's style. He's very singular and specific. Um, So I just kind of want to see what his Hobbit world looks like. I would have. I was very excited when I was. It's one of those things I heard Jackson wasn't doing it. I was like, why is Jackson not doing it? But then, like, I heard Guillermo. Oh, that's an interesting choice, actually. I could get down with that. All right. Yeah, uh, but there was someone who at least you knew would have a vision, even if it wasn't what you maybe wanted or, or would have would have enjoyed ultimately. Like at least it's, it's not going to be someone who just tries to ape Jackson style. Well, it, but it, it would it would have been Pan's Labyrinth meets Lord of the Rings, which mm-hmm. oh, two phenomenal movies. So, I mean, oh, so good. <laughs> you know, great. yeah. When you, when you mix an A and an A, you're going to get an A work. So I mean, <laughs> perfect. Uh, all right, Brent. I think we have talked a little long in the tooth uh, for this episode, but. Please understand that I, I had so many more things I wanted to talk about that we, we could touch on in a future episode. But um, I just I, – I, I wanted to kind of talk about the things that 
the movies that made us think the way we do, especially now when we, because the movies you watch when you're, you first fall in love with are, they have a pretty huge influence on your outlook on film, probably for the rest of your life. You know, so I just, I kind of wanted to see how we're going to be doing the spinoff series. Uh, I was um, excited to talk to you about movies as always. So thank you very much. Excuse me, Hiccup. Thank you very much for joining me this evening, Brandon. I'm oh, very happy to, sir. It's good to uh, and, talk uh, to you again. Uh, this is being recorded on August, sorry, October 13th. So hopefully uh, we'll have another one before uh, before Halloween. Although I don't know, I, I don't want to make a promise on that because, you know, schedules can get a little crazy and, you know, Brandon's the head of a, of a play right now, so he's probably a busy guy. Uh, you would not but be wrong. We will definitely see one at the end of October or the beginning of the November-ish time frame. So if that works for you, Brandon? Uh, yeah, well, I, well, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what our, our schedule has. And, uh, I mean, if, I don't know if you want this in the episode. We can go through our calendars no, if you no, want. No, no, That's no, no. I'm just, we do that after we turn recording. No, 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 no. I mean, just like some kind of like, you know, like time period-ish. We're at the end of October, beginning of November-ish. Oh, yeah. I think we definitely went out by, by then. All right. Yeah. But yeah. Um, do you feel confident in the next one being Star Wars or do you want to do another episode where we just kind of – uh, uh, I'm down for either. Like, here's the thing, especially if you have things like, oh, the heartbreaks or this. Like, if you give me a list in advance, I'll be I'll be ready to. I'll I'll do some thought and prep. On off the top of my head, I'm not as you see always ready to go with a list of films. Whereas you were like, these are my heartbreaks. I, I got them. I know. I want to talk about them. I'm like, no well, shit. I mean, uh, I'm not ready. I'm so angry. At the, I could punch someone over some of these movies. I was so I'm so upset. Um, if I received Benny Off and Weiss about the two showrunners for Game of Thrones who screwed up, I mean, there's a there's a 50-50 chance. I'm going to reach in my pocket, pull out a coin, flip it. If it's heads, I'm going to. I'm just going to kick him straight in the nuts. Like, uh, I like I, that this is you chilled out too. Early in the episode, you're like, I'm a lot more mellow than I was back then. <laughs> I'm going to kick this guy in the nuts. Well, I mean, I think that's, that, that, that's, the, that's the least of what they deserve. But And I don't think there's too many people out there that would disagree with that. A swift nut kick is, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah, we 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 each have more heartbreaks than, we, than you know, an hour and ten minutes is going to allow uh, yeah. us to talk about um, yeah, but I'm down. I'm down. We can we can do some. Top, uh, I'm happy to do the the Star Wars die if we want. I'm at, you know any any number of topics uh, we can fill easily fill an hour plus with. So you know, I feel confident that we should jump in and do Star Wars and maybe. So instead of doing like every week, we'll pick a movies franchise or a movie we want to focus on. Maybe some weeks it'll be you know next week the next episode of this not next week will be Star Wars and the week after might be Heartbreaks and then the week after that you know perhaps we do. Um, movies we really fucking hated. <laughs> yeah, you know that's a great that's a great topic too. No one, I don't think anyone ever does that. Like that's that's an interesting. Um, trust me, I got plenty. I just oh, I got plenty. Me, yeah. Um, well, thank you very much, Brandon, again for joining me. No problem. Good talking to you, sir. And uh, you cinephiles out there, for the love of cinema, watch more movies. I don't care where you watch it. I don't care if you watch it on a VHS in your basement on a box TV that you're afraid to show the rest of the world. Or are you on Netflix on your 4K TV upstairs? I don't care where you do it. Just watch more stuff, man. Enjoy it. Watch it. Love it. You gonna make it weird, Brandon? Like, like I, was, I didn't know if that was your sign off. I don't know. I don't know if you had like this is my sign off phrase. So I don't want to jump in there. No, but this is gonna be the sound off. Okay, I say my bit was I was gonna do a joke about uh, watching Tenet on a phone on the subway. <laughs>